How would you like a 15% discount to my daily email, the stack of stuff, the show notes, discounts to the conference, all of that? All you need to do is text the word SHOW to 33777. You'll get the annual subscription with a 15% discount to my daily email. You'll get the stack of stuff, the links to the show notes, discounts to the conference, and so much more. All you have to do is text the word SHOW, S-H-O-W, to 33777. Text SHOW to 33777. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. How are you? It's Eric Erickson here. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. I just... Okay, so I mentioned in the first hour the storms that are running through my area. Still raining outside, but not nearly as bad as it was. It's headed up the eastern seaboard, the uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, Southern Virginia, getting it is going to go all the way up the eastern seaboard. And, I, you know, I got up this morning trying to figure out how cold it's going to be because my office, is, where, where I do my show typically, the the studio room, the air is either on or it is off. There, there's no comes on, turns off. It's either on or off, and, and they can't figure out why. And so I just had them turn it off. Well, in the wintertime, it gets cold. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to see what's, what's the high today. Um, do I need to do I need to dress long sleeves and what? And the high today, according to my computer, 66 degrees. That was four hours ago, and it's all downhill from here. I'm like, why is it so cold here? Oh, because by the time I get off work, it's going to be 50, and then tonight it's going to be below freezing, and by next week it's going to be 17 degrees in middle Georgia. Goodness gracious. All right, it's going to be cold. Now, I must turn my attention to Boeing. When I was a kid, I was in a plane crash by myself, no less. Had to go down the slide and everything. We were fine. Belly flopped on a runway. Uh, we were totally fine. Um, I, in hindsight, I was like, wow, that was a deeply scary event. But as a kid, it was an adventure. Uh, I was the only, I didn't know, well, my French teacher was on the plane. It was a 747. And uh, I'm I'm the only person I know who's ever had to actually go down the slide. And... Um, I was fine. Everything was fine. It was it was an adventure. Um, I've always loved 747. 747s are to me. I, I like. I've never even cared for like the A380, that double decker behemoth from uh, from Airbus. The 747 is like my favorite airplane. After it is the triple seven. Triple seven is a fantastic plane as well. I love the triple seven. And I, I, Boeing used to do great jobs. Airbus is now starting to innovate more. At, at, at some point, I'll tell you, like if I ever could afford a private jet, I don't really want a Gulfstream. Um, I, Falcon, Dassault makes a great one. Um, Bombardier makes one. But the Cessna, Cessna makes this, this um, mid-range jet called the Longitude. And it's just, you know, the, the great thing about Cessna is that anybody can anybody who can fix planes can fix, fix a Cessna. It's not super proprietary, so the, the maintenance costs are reasonable and stuff like that. It's a very reliable plane. A lot of corporations have this plane. There are lots of great innovators out there. 
Um, I mean, Bombardier makes makes great planes. Uh, Embraer from Brazil makes good planes. Uh, the problem for Boeing is that over time, Boeing existed more and more on government subsidy. And by existing on government subsidy, Boeing stopped innovating. And over time, Boeing started relying more and more on bean counters to keep the company in check than Boeing relied on engineers to innovate. And it's had cascading effects on Boeing over time. I want to play for you some audio this morning. Uh, Phil Mattingly at CNN interviewed a Boeing whistleblower. Uh, and it's remarkable listening to the whistleblower talk about the things going on at Boeing that have been well documented for some time now. Uh, it's it's kind of, I mean, well, it's not good at all. I mean, Boeing asking for special exemptions from the government. They've cut back on quality inspections, post-build quality inspections. This whistleblower claims that Boeing has cut back on doing stuff like that. It's absolutely absurd. Very, very concerning. Um, yeah. Were, were the specific issues, when you talk about the issues that you have, have seen and concerns that you have raised, were the issues that appear to have happened in this case issues that you had raised, seen, or been aware of before uh, this happened? Yes. I mean, this, you know, when you talk about loose bolts on the airplane, that's obviously not a good thing. We had um, many, many problems with when we put a plane through the assembly line. There's a lot of people that are working on that plane, and those employees are rushed if they're fatigued, if they don't have proper quality control. Those kinds of things can, can occur. And as you've seen, it's, you know, when it happens on one plane, there's a very good chance it's happening on other, other planes. So we have seen um, issues in electronic and electrical issues in, involving the airplanes in, in service. And, you know, we've had improper electrical bonding and grounding in the factory. We've seen issues with um, gaps and shimming issues. Um, these are these are very important um, uh, uh, quality type uh, measures that we have to take advantage of. And what's happening is there's this just urge to get these airplanes out the door. So employees are, you know, all the variables that were in place, I guess what I'm saying, all the variables that were in place in 2018, 2019, before those crashes are, are still there. Now, that's Ed Pearson. He was a Boeing employee and whistleblower. He now uh, leads an outside safety watchdog group. And one of the things that, that uh, Ed told Phil Mattingly on CNN is that Boeing has stopped doing just basic safety checks on planes like quality control inspections. And they've requested special exemptions from engineering standards over time. Now, I want to take a slightly different angle on this from a lot of the commentary out there because there's a, a, a real frustration that I have now. You know, when anything happens in the world today, the left rushes out and says it's racism. It's racism. Whatever happened, it's racism. I'm afraid that a lot of people on the right are beginning to do the same thing and just say, well, it's DEI. DEI is to blame. And I saw this in the discussion about Boeing. They found loose bolts on Alaska Air and United Airjet. They're the largest users of the 737-9 MAX in America. And a bunch of conservatives rush out and say, well, it's DEI. DEI is to blame. 
it frustrates me because so many smart people just want to be dumb, guttural, tribal, and and like on the left they scream racism, on the right they scream DEI. Y'all, I've interviewed whistleblowers from Boeing. I've interviewed engineers at Boeing. None of them have ever, in the 10 years that these issues have started being flagged, have ever raised DEI as the problem. There are problems. It's not DEI. And it just dumbs down the conversation. And people on the right are supposed to be smarter than this than to just say DEI. Let me explain to you the problem at Boeing. Boeing is a company that stopped innovating. They tried, and it kind of blew up in their face with their composites when they did the the uh, first the 777, they took some risks with it. It's, it's a brilliant airline. Uh, I would, if I could fly a 777 anywhere, I would. The planes are so big, they don't go everywhere. But it is the safest plane made, the Boeing 777. The assembly line for the 777 is good. It's great. The 787 had all sorts of problems at first. It's the one where they use composites, and they've got uh, lithium-ion batteries that have had problems. They started having problems. And that plane, I think, got Boeing scared to take risks. When you talk to the engineers at Boeing, again, they don't say it's a DEI problem. They say it's an accounting problem, that Boeing put the accountants in charge. And they put the sales team in charge. And they have metrics they have to meet. And so they rush the engineers to get the planes out of the door. They're more and more complicated. They rely on a bigger supply chain. They rely on on uh, more diverse composite parts that are made in different locations. And they have to get the them to Washington to put the planes together. It's a more complex build. And they rush and rush and rush and rush and rush. And they've ignored the engineers who have said they're building the planes at too fast, at too large a scale. And... It's causing problems that we're seeing play out, and it has nothing to do with DEI. It has everything to do with Boeing decided to slow down its invention and its discovery and its science, go with a lot of repackaged products, adding inches to planes instead of coming up with new planes. They, I mean, the 737 is the, the longest existing plane in production. It is the world's safest. I, I say the 77, but in terms of track record, there are so many 37, 737s. And if they don't have the word max in them, they're good. Like, for example, Delta Airlines. I fly a lot of Delta Airlines. Delta has notably shifted a lot to Airbus planes. But Delta flies 737 800s and 737-900s. Those are not the max versions. And they're reliable and they're good planes. And they're based on the old engineering standards. They're not filled with all the new composites on the new assembly uh, timeline scales with the accountants, nickel and diming, everything. They're great planes. The MAX was supposed to show Boeing could innovate and they failed to innovate. And they failed to innovate because Boeing at this point is sclerotic and exists with government subsidy. Boeing stop trying to outcompete the Gulf Streams and the Bombardiers. Now, Gulf Stream does a different thing. It does private airlines and government manufacturing. Bombardier used to make uh, civilian aircraft, and now they mostly do private jets and military things like that. But they're still out innovating. So uh, Bombardier has a new plane out, the Global 8000. It's a private jet. It can hold 19 people. It can go almost around the world. It's hyper-efficient and goes supersonic. Now, the FAA would allow them to go supersonic, but in the, in the flight test, this plane with engines on the rear of the plane, not under the wing, went supersonic. Boeing doesn't have anything like that. 
Look at Boeing's uh, rocket program. Boeing's rocket program is over budget and behind Elon Musk. And uh, the government wants to use Boeing to get us back to the moon. And, and Boeing just exists with government subsidy. The company needs a shakeup and it needs to be engineering led. You know, I'm a fan of Apple. One of the things that Steve Jobs instilled in Apple's culture is that Apple was going to be engineer and inventor driven. It wasn't going to be sales team and it wasn't going to be marketing and it wasn't going to be accountant driven. It was going to be engineering driven. They were going to deliver these fantastic products that worked in this closed ecosystem so well people would never want to leave it. They would push the engineers to do innovative things, but if the engineers couldn't do it, they weren't going to force it and they weren't going to slow them down and rein them in. Boeing used to be that way. About 10 years ago, Boeing stopped being that way. And it's not a coincidence that when Boeing started being more focused on its uh, price earnings ratio than on its innovation, it started having these sorts of problems. Cutting quarters, nickel and diming, rushing the engineers, setting things up to be able to do them regardless of the science and the engineering quality. I do not want to um, fly on a 737 MAX. I don't think you should either. Thankfully, I fly mostly on Delta, and they don't have any in their fleet. Uh, United and, and Alaska have the bulk of them. They've all been grounded, and they're all finding these loose bolts. And engineers are coming forward saying, we said this was going to happen. There needs to be a major shakeup at Boeing. And you notice, like, we've had these recurring problems now with the Max. This is not the first problem. They had those crashes overseas. Why is the CEO still there? Does no one in America like fall on the sword anymore and say my fault I resign like like uh, Lloyd Lloyd Austin Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin's not out there saying you know what I shouldn't have done this I'm sorry I resign that doesn't happen anymore everyone passes the buck of blame as opposed to owning it the CEO of the company should own this stuff the culture that that CEO has fostered at Boeing for some time now is not a good culture it has nothing to do with DEI though. Stop blaming everything you hate on DEI because oftentimes then you don't get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem here at Boeing is not that Boeing is infested with DEI, and I don't deny it's got DEI problems. It's also got problems with still relying on Zoom instead of people coming back to the office. A, a friend of mine yesterday, Martha, texted me and said, Boeing engineer she's talked to said they're still doing Zoom calls instead of meeting face-to-face, -face, and that's a problem. But it's not always about DEI on our side any more than it is racism on the other side. Sometimes there are real issues, and screaming DEI just allows you to ignore the real issues. And the real issue, in Boeing's case, is they are a company that decided to rest on their laurels, give up the innovation, put the engineering aside, and put the accountants in charge. And now the chickens are coming home to roost from that decision. Greetings. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, let's see here. Anthony Blinken giving a press conference right now. Palestinians must not be pressed to leave Gaza, um, trying to, to render peace. I will tell you there are concerns about a major regional Middle Eastern war firing up in large part because the Biden administration didn't come out aggressively against the Houthi and against the other terror groups. And it's given Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and Egypt and others pause in, in our commitment to actually sustaining stuff over there. So this is a 
thing to keep watching. You know, I mentioned DEI in the last segment and how the right blames everything on DEI. And that's not to say there are problems with DEI. There are lots of them. Just the problem at Boeing wasn't necessarily related to it. The University of Michigan, though, the college fix has this. The University of Michigan continues to exponentially grow the number of staffers dedicated to advancing DEI with at least 241 paid employees now focused on DEI and payroll costs exceeding $30 million annually. The payroll costs are $23.24 million for salaries, $7.44 million for benefits, or $30.68 million, an amount that would cover in-state tuition and fees for 1,781 undergraduate students. 13 DEI staff members at the University of Michigan earn more than $200,000 and 66 earn more than $100,000 when factoring in benefits. It's absurd. And you know here, you will never get racial reconciliation in this country when people are making $200,000 a year to picket scabs about racial injustice. You will never have this country heal when they profit off of the division. As part of the University of Michigan's ambitious five-year DEI 2.0 plan, the university's 19 academic schools and colleges and its 32 non-academic units must now also implement DEI plans. Non-academic units, including the library, art museum, botanical gardens, IT department, athletic development, audit services, and more. They've gone all in. Uh, and the chief diversity officer makes $402,000. Unreal. At the University of Michigan, congratulations to them for their win last night. <laughs> All right, we got to move on. First, let me tell you about Vision Computers. Y'all, my son loves his gaming PC. He and I sat down with Vision last year, told him the games he plays, the games he wants to play, what, what he wants to do. He wants to be an architect when he grows up. They built him a computer that not only is it upgradable over time, so we don't have to keep buying new machines, but it works really well right now for everything he wants to do. And if he has a problem, he calls the number. I don't have to do tech support for him. My gosh, I don't have to answer his computer questions about his Vision PC because they, they take care of everything. He's got any question, they teach him. They, they, they have shown him how to use his computer. They can do it for you. They can do it for your employees too. If you have a company, Vision can build your computers, laptop or desktop PCs. And then each of your employees, they get a phone number, and if they got a problem, they don't know how to do something, they call Vision, 15 seconds or less, they get the answer faster than Google search. Saves you money, saves you time, saves you downtime, saves you peace of mind. Vision Computers does all of that. Call them at 404-COMPUTE, anywhere nationwide. 404-COMPUTE, tell them I sent you, or go to visioncomputers.com today. Welcome back. The phone number, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. Happy to have you. I, I want to play you part of this um, audio. This is Elon Gold. He's got a Netflix special. He did a, a stand-up routine last night in New York. Uh, just listen to part of this. These protests. Every day is another protest. Does anybody work? Anybody. Does anybody work? Every day they're out there all day. <laughs> End the occupation. Here's an idea. Get an occupation. <laughs> Says they're taking PTO, protest time off, uh, to go protest. Um, 
there was a story yesterday highlighted on Twitter, the pro-Hamas. And by the way, I, I refuse to call them pro-Palestinian because they're, they're supporting Hamas. Uh, until they blame Hamas and tell Hamas to surrender, they, these people are sycophants for Hamas. These sycophants for Hamas, these protesters for Hamas, these protesters and defenders of terrorism against Israel, vandalized an American military cemetery yesterday, spray-painted on tombstones of fallen soldiers. It's caught on tape. They bragged about it in their quest to end the occupation. These people aren't going to be prosecuted. The protesters blocking streets, they get a citation or they move on. What gets me is the double standard here. The Biden administration has literally dragged people out of homes at gunpoint in the past nine months because those people protested outside of abortion clinics. A father, in the middle of the night, his family was at home sleeping. They kicked in the door, dragged him out in his underwear because he had prayed at an abortion clinic and someone claimed he blocked the path. Jury found him not guilty. But the Biden administration dragged these people out of their homes at gunpoint for protesting at abortion clinics and at most will give a citation to the protesters blocking traffic and desecrating the tombs of soldiers who've died in battle. The double standard is what grates on me. Yesterday, they blocked the Brooklyn Bridge. A man very nearly ran over the protesters. Uh, they got out of the way, and more of this is going to happen. Some of these protesters are going to get killed. They'll get what they deserve, frankly. I, I've got no sympathy for them. I, I really don't. If, if they get run over, I personally think we should pass a law that allows you to run them over. When they're blocking traffic in protest, you should be able to just run them over. They're interfering with your ability to travel. They're interfering with your constitutional right to travel. Their right to protest doesn't trump your right to protest, your right to travel. You should just be able to run them over. They're going to block the interstate. You just drive. No, I don't have sympathy for them. You can tell me it's cruel all you want. I don't have sympathy for these people blocking traffic, defacing uh, hundreds of year old, thousand year old works of art so that you can cry, they can cry about oil or they can cry about the occupation. Run them over. I don't have any, any sympathy for them. They're, they're, they're just, they, they are blocking people's lives, disrupting people's lives. And in these, these Hamas supporters, they're doing so in defense of terrorists who murdered over 2,000 people. Run them over. You can complain to management if you're offended with me saying that, but I don't have any sympathy for these protesters doing this. It reminds me of a, several years ago, they had one of these protesters, and uh, a guy was late to work. He was out of jail, but he had to be at work on time and reporting every day, and they were blocking him. And he was so incensed that he was going to go back to jail because of what these protesters were doing in the name of racial justice. It was the George Floyd protests. Literally, it was the George Floyd protests. They were blocking traffic. And this black man was going to be thrown in prison if he didn't make it to work in time. And he forcibly dragged the protesters out of the road to get to work. And they arrested him. Yes, the protesters were white. I don't have sympathy for these people. And what gets me is the double standard. 
It is against the law to protest outside the homes of federal judges. Merrick Garland has refused to enforce that law when it comes to Supreme Court justices. And it got to the point, a man attempted to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh and his family. They let it get to that point. And even now, you can still protest outside Brett Kavanaugh's home. They won't enforce the law. But you kneel down and pray in front of an abortion clinic, they will drag you out of the house at gunpoint. They're allowing the wokes to dominate. And there will be festering, seething resentment of the public. It's a park in Pennsylvania. Uh, Welcome Park, Liberty Park, something I can't remember the name of it. Um, There's a William Penn statue. The state of Pennsylvania is named for William Penn. William Penn was a Quaker who opposed slavery, got along great with the American Indian tribes in the Pennsylvania area, And the Biden administration decided to take his statue down because they didn't want to offend the natives, that is, the American Indians. They didn't want to offend them. Yes, the Biden administration decided in a federal park to take down a statue of William Penn because they didn't want to offend people. The governor of Pennsylvania, by the way, Josh Shapiro, Democrat, intervened and said no. And what's really, really notable to me is that means that the Biden administration never consulted the governor or even the senator. John Fetterman came out and attacked the Biden administration for taking down the statue of William Penn. Said, we're, we're Pennsylvanians. The name of our state is after this guy. We're not going to take a statue down. It's insane to do it. The Biden administration decided to do it without talking to him. Who in the Biden administration is making these decisions? It's not Joe. They're trying to placate the wokes. And they wound up offending the people of Pennsylvania, a swing state that will have a swing Senate election. And Bob Casey, the senator from Pennsylvania, said nothing. John Fetterman spoke out. The governor spoke out. The senator who's actually on the ballot this year said nothing. Didn't want to disagree with Joe Biden. The Wall Street Journal has an editorial today. Let me read this to you. It's part of it. Cities often forget and have to relearn that active policing reduces crime, but the results leave little room for doubt. New York's neighborhood patrols are rolling back deadly violence despite the progressive groups trying to dismantle them. The New York City Police Department on Wednesday released its year-end crime numbers for 2023. The trend should prompt cheers from beleaguered New Yorkers. Murders are down 12% from 2022. There's been a 25% decline in shootings. The uptick in safety occurred throughout the city with fewer shootings in all five boroughs. Mayor Eric Adams suggested a cause behind the trend. More cops on the street who are more prone to action. He said on Wednesday at NYPD headquarters, quote, your officers took nearly 6,500 illegal firearms off our streets in 2023. In addition to raids and arrests, officers seize unregistered guns from pedestrians and drivers whom they suspect are armed and dangerous. Much of the work is done by neighborhood safety teams, which are patrol units, 
that Mayor Adams launched in 2022 to replace the plainclothes teams that the NYPD disbanded after the George Floyd riots. Now, here's the punchline. Progressive activist groups and prominent Democrats are upset that these officers are doing neighborhood street policing. That's right. They've had a measurable result. 6,500 illegal firearms have been confiscated in 2023. Murders are down 12%. Shootings are down 25%. And progressives are angry about it. Progressives actually wish to allow crime to go unchecked because otherwise you're propping up systemic racism. You shouldn't, will not be surprised when we find out because it's, you know, it's coming. The Biden administration is probably going to object to these and probably send it to the Department of Justice because the wokes are upset about it. This is a measurable impact. I mean, just think about this. Bill de Blasio, after the 2020 George Floyd riots, got rid of the New York City police plainclothes teams that were keeping crime down and crime skyrocketed. They can blame COVID all they want, but it came after the Floyd riots when New York started uh, disbanding police departments. Adams, who was a police officer, has brought him back and crime is down. And the wokes are unhappy. And, and, you know, the, the real problem here is that the wokes don't even live in these areas. They want you, me, and everyone else to be less safe while they're in their gated communities and their locked apartment buildings, and they don't have to deal with it. They're living in their mama's basement where they're safe. And the Biden administration wants to humor these people because the Biden administration is a problem. They've seen their polling. Their polling against Donald Trump is abysmal. So they are, they're willing to play with fire. They're willing to engage in this double standard for all to see. They'll arrest the abortion protesters, but they'll allow the people who desecrate graves of America's fallen soldiers to get away with it. They will take down the statues of founders of this country because it doesn't offend anyone other than the wokes. It's more offensive to most people that the statue would come down, but they don't care about those people. They care about the wokes. And they will intervene to allow crime to go unchecked lest people have safe streets because the wokes want it. The Biden administration is hijacked by these idiots. They're run by these idiots. They listen to these idiots. And they've made the entire country less safe. And what's the most galling part of it all is this double standard. It makes people cynical about law and order and justice when you're prosecuting your political opponents so often that now you can blame this. There, there's a story out today about a, a conservative group that is under investigation by the SEC. Don't, don't want to say the name, but there's a conservative group. It's under investigation by the SEC. It's publicly traded. And the immediate, there are, there are allegations that this group has been releasing um, not quite accurate data, we shall say. It's an allegation by a research firm that they were, uh, shaping their publicly released data to be more than it actually was in terms of users and the like. And the SEC is investigating. And, of course, the immediate reaction is, well, they're prosecuting them because they're conservative. 
Maybe there's a legitimate reason, but you can't really blame people for saying they must be prosecuted and for conservative because you and I both know darn well if they were progressive, they wouldn't be getting prosecuted. This administration and this Attorney General Merrick Garland has a double standard for justice. If you are a progressive activist engaged in progressive activism that breaks the law, you get a slap on the wrist. If you're a conservative that does the same, you go to jail, or at least they try to send you to jail. It makes people deeply, deeply suspicious about the fairness of the system. And part of that, if we're truthful, is what they want, because then they can further destabilize and discredit the system. It's all very nefarious. It's what this administration does. One great group pushing back on all of it is Americans for Prosperity. In fact, I got a nice note from one of the AFP coordinators in Georgia yesterday that they had been out knocking on doors uh, telling people where their state legislators in Georgia stand on school choice. That's what they do. They, they take their army of activists and they say, let's go knock on the doors in this district and tell everybody this guy who said he was for school choice voted against it. And they've been educating voters in, in Georgia. They train the door knockers. They train you to go to the state legislature and make effective cases for free markets and free people. It's what they do. Americans for Prosperity does a great job training you to be a better conservative activist. You can sign up with them at americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. You know you want to engage for free markets, free people. You want to engage and fight for limited government. You want to fight for school choice in the country. Americans for, Prosper Americans for Prosperity does it. They teach you how to do it effectively. They train you up to be a warrior for freedom. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Sign up with AFP. They'll teach you how to be a really effective conservative activist fighting for common sense conservative solutions. Greetings, conversationalists. Uh, say a prayer for Howard Stern. He got COVID. Uh, Stern has refused to leave his house. Since 2020, essentially. Uh, in fact, he's gotten mad at his wife for leaving the house. Uh, he's been vaxxed and boosted and boosted and boosted and boosted and boosted and boosted and boosted, I guess, and still got COVID. Um, I feel bad for the guy, but I, I'm the people who are living in fear of COVID. You know, my wife has stage four lung cancer and she got COVID uh, about two weeks ago and she's recovering. And it was not hospitalization bad, but she was out of energy. She's been very congested, just thick, goopy congestion. Uh, she rebounded last week for a day and then was just miserable again for several days. And then yesterday got up and started cleaning the house. Um, it is survivable by the overwhelming number of people. And I don't understand the, the people who are as freaked out about it now as they are, particularly as it's mutated over time and, and seems to be less and less awful. Um, I just, I, I'm, I'm kind of like flabbergasted. Like Bill Maher, for example, who I know, uh, said he and Stern are friends, but Stern won't see him in person anymore. Um, and he says he probably never see him again because Stern won't see people because he won't leave his house because he's scared of COVID. There was a story the other day about a doctor and his wife in California who have not left their home since 2020. They have kids. And they don't leave their house. He goes to work, and that's it. They stay home. The kids stay home. They don't see people. They don't interact with people. They use uh, Instant Cart for their grocery deliveries. They don't go out to restaurants. They live an isolated existence. 
when they leave the house to go on vacation, they go to remote areas of the country where they're less likely to run into people because they don't want to get COVID. Live not by fear. It is entirely manageable. And also, you are admitting that all of the hubbub about the vaccine was a failure, that you get the vaccine, you still get the virus. What's the point of that? My wife got her vaccine, got boosted, and to this day, she says, the vaccine and the booster left her in worse shape than even this round of COVID has left her. Now, her doctor says it's probably an indication of if she didn't get vaccinated and boosted, what COVID would do to her. I don't know. But I'll just tell you that she's she's recovering and stern will as well and live not by fear, people. Live not by fear.